1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Well, speaking of authentic living, how does one develop one's own authentic spirituality? How do we we even know what that means? Do we have to ditch all religious rituals and practices and churches and organizations in order to develop an authentic spirituality? What are the consequences of developing an authentic spirituality? And most importantly, how does one develop an authentic spirituality? It seems that we'd have to have a real spiritual connection in order to develop something authentic. But what does that mean? All these questions are more going to be answered on the show today as we explore the possibility of finding your own authentic spirituality. So let's talk first about what that means. Authenticity, as we've defined it here on the show, is not uh, deciding to wear blue jeans to work because you feel like a rebel today. It's not uh, what color your hair is or uh, how you smile or how you walk or how you dress. It's who you are. Authentic, uh, authenticity is all about finding that deep inner essence, the real true you, and being that. Now, what, as a, what that means is that there is an unreal you. There is an unreal you that we wear so thick and so deep that we don't even know we're wearing it. We often call it personality. We often get it very confused with who we are. And in this day and age, when in which sort of the ego has become the enemy of all that is true uh, and spiritual, we we um, we tend to think that the ego is also who we are. Uh, so those are terms. I'm, I don't use the term ego, and let me just go ahead and explain why um, ego, uh, from its perspective, used in pop spirituality, and I'm calling it pop spirituality for the reason that it's what's heard about most in magazines and read about most in, in, in books. So we've, we've got this idea, an ideal about what is supposed to happen with spirituality. We're supposed to overcome ego and um, be only soul or be only um, divineness or essence or beingness or whatever and while I do believe that beingness is what we actually are I don't believe overcoming ego is the answer first because um, what we think ego is is this uh, bad guy inside of us that is uh, sort of uh, wants to defeat anything spiritual and uh, you know doesn't perceives wrongly and doesn't see uh, um Uh, the reality of its own ways, and it is just basically uh, lost. And uh, I think that's a very expansive view of ego, first, because ego, uh, from uh, real mental health and uh, um, understanding of what happens in the brain – is really just a liaison between the inner and the outer world. And it has no more, no more power than that. It just communicates between the inner and outer world. Now, con- if we live consciously... Uh, and by that I mean we live only in our conscious understanding of the world and we don't try to delve into the unconscious and understand that, then the the ego is going to be weighted more on the conscious side and we may live more out of an identity than out of who we actually are. Or the ego could be weighted more on the unconscious side, and w- side in which we would operate more out of delusions and illusions and hallucinations rather than uh, reality. So, you know it can be weighted we can weigh the ego down with various uh, and sundry ways of looking at life and, and acting on life or or acting on that perception but we but the ego itself has no more power than sort of like a seesaw has it has to it has to, it operates by weight As as you know, if one person sits on uh, the end of a seesaw and nobody's on the other side, they're going down to the ground. And if both if two people weigh approximately the same, then it'll be balanced and it'll be hot. You'll have to push on the ground to make it go up or down. Um, And that's that's the all the power that the ego has. It's just like that. And so when we use the term ego to sort of be this expanded view of this bad guy inside of us who wants to get in the way of our authenticity or our authentic spirituality, then we we miss the point entirely. We can, however, weigh heavily on the conscious, uh, weigh consciousness down heavily on the ego, in which case we would operate out of an identity. An identity is who we think we are. And we generally put that on in response to, uh, um, the influence, and I don't mean direct overt influence, but I mean subtle unconscious influence that goes on in our family systems when unresolved issues are floating around in the air and i'm I'm living as as um Bruce Lipton puts it in the in a delta state between the ages of uh, 0 and 2 and living in a, a theta state between the ages of 2 and 7, I'm absorbing all of that. I'm just like a little sponge just slurping that stuff right up and identifying with it and saying, oh, okay, now I have to be this in order to fix that. Um, and so we put that identity on and we wear it and we do the same thing. It's almost like uh, we know now what to do about life. We found this thing that works and we know now what to do about life. So if I'm a clown, if I put on the clown identity because I perceive that my parents are sad and uh, you just sort of wade through sadness in my house all the time and I figure, well, hey, uh, I can fix this. I can make everybody happy. And so I put on the the clown identity and I go around making everybody laugh and people outside the home say, well, there's nothing wrong in that home. Look how happy happy I am. Look how happy she or he is. And uh, and people inside the home are laughing, so everything's good. Even though there's still that sadness that's underground, and so I'm living out that clown identity. What happens when a tragedy happens? I make a joke. What happens when a happy thing happens? I make a joke. What happens when when um, when an angry thing happens? I make a joke. I know how to get through all of life. I do the same thing. I just I know how to handle everything. I, I, I use a hammer. For everything, even when it's not a nail. So uh, that's how we—that's how an identity is. It's sort of that. You know, we talk about oh, those uh, stereotypical images like the dumb blonde, which is, of course, not true at all. But that—that that person knows how to respond to life in the way that quote-unquote the dumb blonde responds these are identities they're almost caricature like we can do that same thing with the victim identity we can do it with a superhero identity we can do it with the superwoman identity well uh you know who cooks up everything and has the bacon fixed just right and the breakfast is all done and you know and still be great in bed that night for her husband uh that's the superwoman identity the uh The scapegoat, that's a complex identity that has to do with guilt, taking on guilt and responsibility for other people, Um, and that can also pan out to the black sheep. So there's, there's all these different identities we can take on to cope with what it is that we're surrounded by as we're growing up and whatever unresolved issues, and that together with some of our innate talents and abilities. So, for example, if I'm a very, very, very intelligent person, I might put on the intellectualizer identity because that's, that works for me. I know how to use my brain to overcome anything. And, and so in that sense then, I'm, I'm, my identity is a part of my coping mechanism, but it isn't who I actually am. So if I'm not being who I am, then who am I being? Well, the only way I'm going to know that there's a distinction there is that I'm going to start feeling feelings that are different from what my identity would think I should feel. So if I'm the scapegoat, for example, and I feel guilty and responsible for other people's lives, and and I pick up other people's emotions and carry them around and, to, and worry them until I can figure out a solution, and then I go back to the person and say, here's the solution to your problem, just do this, um, and uh, I think I've fixed them, and of course, they're probably Even less likely to do it now because I've taken on their emotions and they don't have the emotions pushing them to do it. So why would they bother? So uh, I'm I'm living out this scapegoat identity and all of a sudden I start becoming aware of feelings of resentment. Well, those are not feelings that a scapegoat is supposed to have. The scapegoat is supposed to have good, kind, loving, generous feelings all the time. Where does this resentment come from? Oh, now I hate myself for having these horrible feelings. What am I going to do about that? Oh, my gosh, Who am, what does this mean about me? Have I become this terrible person? Very often, those are the questions that drive people to therapy. And then you can begin to work on, well, those feelings are coming from your authentic self. They're telling you that you're doing stuff that's not really authentic. You know, carrying around other people's emotions is not really authentic. You know, you're not helping them. You're not helping yourself. It's not working for you. So... That's just one example of many of how a person might be able to become more aware of their authenticity. And it's that same exact kind of way that we become aware of our authentic spirituality. We begin to ask questions about what it is that we've learned, and we begin to wonder, is that really true? Is that, is that really what I believe? And sometimes it's a crisis that makes us begin to ask those questions. Sometimes it's just the questioning nature of our curiosity. Sometimes it's a dream. We have a dream at night and we wake up and go, wow, hmm, I wonder what that, that means. And we begin to explore it and we, and we open up to a whole new uh, idea about what we really believe. Sometimes we get information downloaded to us as we meditate and we begin to believe different things than we ever got taught before. And it doesn't matter what religion you came from. It doesn't matter if you come from a religion or if your family was religious at all. It doesn't matter if you're atheist or whatever. None of that matters. What matters is that if you can ground yourself in an authentic spirituality, then you know how to find your peace. Because no matter what any religion says, the bottom line is we're looking for peace. And if we're looking for peace... The answer is find peace, <laughs> not, not find enlightenment, not find religion, not find forgiveness, not find, you know, uh, salvation, none of those things. We're looking for peace. Let's go find peace. Okay? So what we do is we get uh, an ideal mixed up with a reality. We very often will say, oh, well, I'm looking for peace, so let me go join the church or or go to temple or, you know, uh, pray my prayers or do my rituals or whatever uh, that I've been taught to do so I need peace well I've done those and I feel better now I've, I don't feel guilty I don't feel um like uh that I you know I feel like I've done something about whatever problem that is that i'm having like I I've gone to pray so now I feel better well I mean that's certainly a, a wonderful thing that you've gone to pray but do you have peace yet Because until you have peace, you haven't tapped into the authentic spirituality that you are. So, you know, it's just like we say, I want peace of mind. Well, what are you going to do to get that? Well, I'd have to win the lottery. I guess I'm never going to have peace of mind then. You know, it's that same kind of thinking. Because, you know, and and I see this very often. If you've been listening to the show very long, you know, I've said this before. Sometimes I'm talking to listening audiences and I'll ask, well, you know, what do you want? And what would make you happiest of all? And people will raise their hand and say, "Well, I want to win the lottery." Okay, let's say let's let's say it's a hundred million dollars. You've won the lottery, and now what are you going to do with that? And they give me a long list of what they're going to do with it. And then I go, "Okay, you've done all that now. What what have you got?" And very often they say, "Peace of mind. I've got peace of mind." Oh, okay. So you went this circuitous route to get your peace of mind. You. You you know you thought you wanted the lottery, but what you really wanted was peace of mind. It's just that the lottery is what you use to get there. So we get the method mixed up with the outcome. As long as we actually have it, as long as we actually get to peace, no problem. But when we uh, when we don't have, if we don't get to peace, then there's a problem. So we need to be able to get to peace. And the solution to any of our problems about anxiety or depression or anything else is peace. So authentic spirituality brings us to a place of peace. And that's what we're looking for. In, in, in the sense that we are owning our own lives, in the sense that we are graciously giving ourselves an opportunity to have a, a life that we want that's the sense in which we can say, "Okay, I can own an authentic spirituality." So, now, so the definition that I'm looking for today, that's going to be really clear about what spiritual, authentic spirituality is, is it's that thing that gives us deep, uh, abiding peace. That is, it's that kind of peace that passes understanding. It's not a peace that you can say, "Well, I have peace of mind." Um, which you know that's a good piece to have same uh, as this under this piece that passes understanding that the piece that passes understanding is not necessarily connected to a um, particular outcome it's not necessarily connected to whether or not we are stressed out in other ways it it or whether, whether or not there might be st- stress producing things that are typically thought of as stress-producing events in our lives. Uh, Regardless of the circumstances, we can have peace. This peace that passes understanding doesn't need the right circumstances to exist. So it's important to understand that when we're talking about authentic spirituality, we're talking about what it is that gives us that peace that passes understanding, that peace that Uh, just feels like you're settled way down deep into yourself and you can, you, you're, you're really alive in there and you're really just being present with yourself. And it's, uh, it also contains a little piece of joy there because it, it is fully relaxed and fully alive. Um, it is making contact with your essential beingness. That is peace. So whatever gets us there, that's what I'm talking about with regard to authentic spirituality um, and and as I said that can be any religion it can be any ritual it can be any kind of prayer that works to get us there the bottom line is getting us there okay so we're going to talk about that some more right after the break stay tuned
0: Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with Great Spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? be extraordinary. Be the change.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free. 866 472 5795 That's one 866 472 4725795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamathews.com. Now, back to authentic living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And we're back talking today about how to discover your own authentic spirituality. And you know that the Authentic Spirit uh, Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology, whose mission it is to help people find their own authentic spirituality, so that goes really well with our show today. AIHT wants you to know about their 2014 curriculum, offering a greater variety of programs than they ever have before, and in-depth studies that uh, allow you to choose uh, the degree to which you want to go in the depth of your study. You already know that you can get a master's or doctorate or a ministerial bachelor's degree there, but now at the doctoral level, they offer not only the Ph.D. in all the programs, but AHT offers a doctor of ministry degree in all of its programs as well. And in the holistic theology program, you can get a doctor of theology degree. But that's not all. The programs themselves have changed. Now you can get a degree in holistic theology, holistic health, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology, and that's still not all. Now they've added more depth to their your education by offering a greater number of courses that start in the introductory level and move all the way to the advanced level. For example, in the holistic theology program, you can take Judaism one, two, and three, with each level offering a greater depth of understanding. Or in the parapsychology program, you can take psychic skills one, two, and three. Those are just a few examples. You can get the whole picture by going to www.aiht.edu. Or if you'd like to talk directly to the missions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of the studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality. Utilizing as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path, as well as to become credentialed to bring their own unique gift to the world. So AIHT is changing the world one student at a time. You want to know more? Go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. And as we said, we were talking about authentic spirituality, and what we said in, uh, just before the break was that authentic spirituality has everything to do with just being able to get to that uh, deep inner uh, uh, peace that's hard to describe in words, but when you're there, you absolutely know you're there, and it, and it really does inform you of who you are. It informs you of what the deepest part of life. It informs you about the joy of living and love and all kinds of other things. So that's what authentic spirituality is meant to get us to. And so when we talk about finding a path to authentic spirituality, we're not saying there's one path better than another. What we are saying is that the ultimate goal of authentic spirituality is to bring you to peace. So uh, does one have to ditch all the religious rituals and practices that one has grown up with? Absolutely not. But we, what we do need to do is find out which ones give us peace. And when when we're asked to do a religious practice that doesn't bring us to priests, well, we just don't have to do that. The thing is, there are no have-tos. And that's that's part of the um, issue with regard to religion is that we tend to think in terms of have-tos. We tend to think that um, we are supposed to um, be able to uh, know what we're supposed to do. There's a supposed to with everything. I'm supposed to pray uh, five times a day, or I'm supposed to give a certain amount of money for my tithe, or I'm supposed to um, um, have a, a, a what is it a morning quiet time. I'm supposed to meditate twice a day. I'm supposed to meditate for a certain number of minutes or hours a day. All of those supposed tos don't have anything to do with authentic spirituality. And we will not find authentic spirituality by operating out of supposed tos. We will only find authentic spirituality when we explore our own inner world with regard to what is true and false for us about spirituality. Now, I know that's really scary, uh, particularly to, um, maybe even to churches, but particularly to people who... Rigidly to an idea or an ideal about how it's supposed to go, and and when we do that, what we're saying is, if you don't operate out the way of operating, then you are not uh, one of us, or you are going to go to hell, or there's going to be some frightening consequence. And so we 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 operate very often with regard to our spiritual practices in fear. And so we do things we should do because we're afraid that if we don't, then bad things are going to happen. And that's a bargain with the universe. Um, very often people will tithe, for example, um, with a, a Christian uh, ritual that has to do with giving 10% of your first income. So when you get that check for, let's say, $600, let's just make it uh, something we can figure out easily, you take $60 off the top of that and you give it, to some cause that you believe in. And so if you do that, then God will take care of you. And so that idea is a bargain. It says, if I do this, then God or the gods or whoever it is that my particular way of believing is, Jesus Christ or whoever it is, will supply me with the things that I need. And the universe, the divine, does not need our puny little bargains. (laughs) Um... You know, when when even in the Christian faith, when Jesus said that, um, you know, his eye is on the sparrow, and he knows how many hairs you have in your head, and and um, he knows you have need of these things, and he'll take care of those. Put first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be taken care of. What he's saying there is, stop worrying about that. That's already taken care of. All you need to do is focus on finding your peace. And, um, and he talked about a day coming when we would worship in, in spirit and in truth, um, and truth and spirit don't have anything to do with bargains. So bargaining is a stage of grief. It's a stage of acceptance, and it says, if I do this, then this will happen. And so we, we, we operate in that, in that methodology that says I'm going to strategize with the universe. I'm going to say, if I do these things, then I'll have these things. A lot of what we've come to believe about the law of attraction has worked that way. If I if I get my vision board and think only positive thoughts and stay focused on that, then the universe will give me what I want. Um, and uh, there's just not an if then that the universe operates out of. So. So when we, and then when we don't get that thing, we wonder what we've done wrong and what's wrong with us, and how come other people can have what they want that way, and we haven't gotten what we want that way, and that's because we don't understand the law of attraction. It doesn't work like it's been. We've been taught that it works with regard to um, uh, Rhonda Barnes' book on The Secret. It works like this: we are attracted to and by all of those things, people, places, events, and circumstances that bring us closer and closer to understanding who we are as divine beings, period, end of subject, that's it. That's the way the law of attraction works. It's run by our souls, and we can't bargain with our souls. So in the same way, very, much of our, very often our religious practices are bargains with the universe, trying to get the universe to be good to us, in the same way that uh, uh, in the ancient days they might sacrifice a bull or a lamb or a goat in order to get the gods to give them a better herd next year. Um, or they might sacrifice some wheat to get, make the gods give them a, a good crop next year, or they might sacrifice uh, something else to so the gods will take care of them as they launch out into sea. So these are the ways that uh, bargains began. These religious rituals very often began as a part of a bargain, and uh, those things are not going to get us to authentic spirituality. They might... Uh, make us feel a little bit better because we think we're doing all we can to get the universe to give us what we want, but they're not going to get us to authentic spirituality, and that's why that's a problem because there is no one way. One of the things that I love best about the Bhagavad Gita is that uh, is that uh, Krishna says to Arjuna, "All all roads lead to me," and that is that is the ultimate truth that. We're not, uh, we're not bound by any particular way of getting there, but getting there and there, by there I mean authentic spirituality. By getting to an authentic spirituality where we worship in truth and in spirit, that's where we, uh, we actually find that peace. And, and so what we're looking for here is not just the shoulds, not the have to's, not the if you don'ts, not the if I do's, then these good things will happen. But rather the let me just let me just be with what gives me peace. And that's that deep, real uh, peace that passes understanding as we've described it. So uh, what are the consequences of developing one's own spirituality? Well there are some consequences. You you might hear people that you've always known and who have always known you to be a part of a particular religion or particular practice. Um, they might not like it that you're trying to develop something that's just yours and that you can really be a part of. They might criticize you. They might tell you that you're doing something wrong or evil or even that you might go to hell. They might tell you all kinds of things about the devil leading you astray or they might tell you that you're not going to be a part of their practice anymore. Or they might even kick you out of their family if it's in certain religions and certain uh, fundamentalist ways, whether those are East or West. So uh, having your own authentic spirituality does sometimes have some consequences. So let's let's don't blind ourselves to that. But here's the thing. Nobody even has to know about your authentic spirituality. You don't have to go around telling people that, hey, I'm not going to do that ritual because um, that's not authentic for me. Um, You can have your own practice in your own quiet way. And that's one of the reasons I think that Jesus talked about going into your closet to pray. Not just because he didn't want people out on the street uh, showing off how good they were by praying on the street, but rather because sometimes we need to protect ourselves from other people by going in the closet and letting our spirituality be just ours just ours alone and it's not something that other people even have to know about um, and uh, so whether or not you, other people know about what you're doing inside in your inner life uh, that's yours to decide you don't have to there are no have to's you don't have to tell them that you're doing that so so yes, there there could be some consequences to telling people that you're on your own path and that you want to do it your way and and uh, you're not going to do this that or the other anymore. Um, but very often, what ha- what what is also true is that the peace that you gain from actually being in your own authentic spirituality is so much greater than the potential consequences that it's worth it. So. Um, So now I want to be really clear. I'm not suggesting that anybody go off the deep end over here and say, well, you know, Andrea talked about me formulating my own authentic spirituality today, and so I'm just going to go tell people that might really harm me that I'm going to do this my way from now on. I I really want you to be careful about that. But I do think that uh, formulating something that gives you deep inner peace means you're going to have your own inner guidance about how to deal with those other things as well. But here's the thing. Me telling you that you're going to be able to go, uh, fi- formulate your own authentic spirituality does not mean that you're going to get instant authentic spirituality. It doesn't work that way. It's a journey. And like anything else, it takes some time to process through what is and isn't authentic for you. Part of that is because our identities get in the way. We get confused about what's true and false for us because we don't know... Um, what what is genuine inside of us and what is coming from the identity one example that's really clear is we might be uh we might somebody let's say i'm working in my office one day and somebody comes to see me and says you know um, you are uh, we're you're up for a promotion and we're thinking that you really can handle this particular uh position and uh we think you're good for it and, uh, but you're up against some other people too but we want you to know you're up for this position and, and your mind immediately starts fantasizing about, wow, that's going to be a big increase in income and I'm going to have some more power than I have and I'm going to be able to have more prestige than I've had and I'll be able to do this, that, and the other and this, that, and the other. And it, you know, you're off and on this fantasy. Wow, if I could get this job, da 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 and all the, all the wonderful things that will happen as a result of getting the job. But then this other part of you uh, starts to be heard as well. And that part of you is like, you know, that's not even stuff I want to do. I don't really like that, that kind of, uh, the duties of that job. I don't like to, I don't want to be in a position of having to perform X, Y, and Z duties. I don't want that kind of responsibility. I'd rather be doing this over here. Um, you know, you hear that authentic voice coming in and saying, yes, but these are not my truest desires. Now see, we have an inner conflict going on there between the identity. And the, uh, and the authentic self, where the identity is saying, yeah, but I'll have all this money and I'll have all this prestige and I'll have all this power. And the, and the, uh, the um, authentic self is saying, I, I have no desire for doing those particular tasks. So which way are you going to go? Where are you going to land? A lot of people will say, well, now I'm going to have to, ask my family about that and ask what they want me to do well okay you can do that <laughs> and you may or may not hear the kind of support for your authenticity that uh, would be genuine and would bring you peace but you may but you may you might hear some uh, somebody say yeah just do what you want to do but here's the thing what we want to do is also uh, also confusing and you can see it is in this particular arena because you want the money you want the power you want the prestige but you also want to be doing the tasks you love. So that's the inner conflict. So it, it's it's that place of, of where we see that we're beginning to uh, move closer to our identity and away from our authenticity, or move closer to our authenticity and away from our identity. Or being able to identify with the authentic self, that would be the merger we're actually looking for. So it, it, that that journey that we take is one that, That is not an easy journey, but it does get us more and more clarity the more we become closely attuned to and aware of what actually goes on inside of us. The first thing that has to happen in that particular conflict is that we have to hear both sides of the conflict in order to be able to even make a conscious decision that has any real um, uh, clarity to it. We have to be able to hear both sides of that. Most of the time we don't. Most of the time we hear money, prestige, power. Oh, okay, let me get that job. And that's all we think about. But the other, And we later we figure out, oh, I hate doing this, but hey, I get all this prestige, power, and money. Maybe I can delegate that stuff I hate to somebody else and I'll still have all the prestige, power, and money. Um, yeah, that sounds like a plan, but is that what you really want to be doing with your energy? Is that really what you want to be doing with your time? What about all those things you're missing out on because you're not doing the things you really love doing? What about that? So we have to be able to hear both voices. So that's very, very important. We can't send the identity away and say, oh, you're you, you, you um, you're just trying to get in my way. That's what a lot of the spiritual um, information that's out there right now is telling us to do. Just send the ego, what they call the ego, away. We don't need ego. You need to overcome that ego. But actually, we need to be able to hear the voice of the identity as well as the voice of the authentic self and then be able to sort through that and, and say okay which, what, which one is going to give me the most peace because when I'm in peace I'm also in compassion and when I'm in peace I'm also in joy and when I'm in peace I'm also in fulfillment so those are the things that are actually proving my existence here on planet earth I'm fulfilling this life this body this mind this soul this heart I'm um, I'm operating in compassion for myself and for other people. I'm operating in uh, the truth of my deepest essence. That's how I'm operating. I'm not operating in terms of um, how, you know, how I should be in the world. You know, people say I should have power, prestige, and money. Yes, and that would make me look really good in front of other people. But is it real? Those are the questions you have to ask on this journey. So we're going to talk some more about that journey right after the break. Stay tuned for more.
0: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: Are you a spiritual seeker? Have you always pondered the deeper questions in life? Have you looked at many spiritual paths and found some answers but are looking for more? The Open Door, brought to you by the Summit Lighthouse, brings you each week practical spiritual teachings and tools that promote self-mastery, higher consciousness, and the opportunity to connect with the Ascended Masters. Join Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy as we explore the universe of spirituality. Live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on the 7th Wave Channel.
0: It has been foretold that this is a time of great change in the consciousness of the planet. What is the paradigm shift required to usher in a new reality? Join Avatars Peggy and David as they introduce a new and fresh living spirituality which will stretch you and cause you to question everything you have learned on your spiritual journey. Tune in every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel for The Avatars, ushering in a new beginning. And get ready for a provocative discussion that will challenge many of your most cherished spiritual beliefs. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek Greater Awareness.
2: Okay, we're back so we want to really be sure we answer the question how does one develop an authentic spirituality well one begins to be willing the first thing is to be willing to say okay I don't know what I believe I don't know what I'm I'm not even sure of who I am I'm not sure about my own feelings I'm not even sure about my own original thoughts I don't know what that is that's a great starting place because I don't know means okay then I have to learn and so now I need to spend time with myself. And by that I mean with my deeper self. I mean uh there's several ways to do that. One is to start by um, looking into the things that give you joy in your everyday life. Uh what is it that really lights your fire in your everyday life? Do you uh love the tasks of your job? Do you would you like to be doing art, music, you know, um, taking more walks, uh listening to to more People talk on the radio. Would you like to, you know, what is it that really gives you some sense of joy, a sense of of fulfillment, a sense of aliveness? What is that? Um, Begin that way. Um, And you can also begin by meditating. I strongly encourage people to meditate, not from any kind of should, with regard to how long it should take or how you should sit or how you should, um, um, what kinds of things you should say. If there's a mantra or, you know, are you chanting a None of that matters. You're, the most um, important part of meditation is that you're connecting with your deeper self. Regardless of how you do what you do, that you're connecting with your deeper self. And by that I mean you're sitting inside yourself and you're experiencing what goes on in there. So you might see thoughts. You might feel feelings. You might um, feel bodily sensations but you've just become intensely aware of that. It's a kind of mindfulness, yes, that's a good word for it, but it's more than just that. It's not that your mind is just looking at those things. It's that you are experiencing those things. And sometimes just doing that, just going inside to be with who you are inside, allows you to get to go a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper each time. And what that means is that you're getting acquainted with the nonverbal, Part of yourself. See, when we started talking, we lost touch with a great deal of our authenticity. (laughs) We had to put into words things that, uh, that were of life, like bottle and, uh, food and, you know, clothing and things like that. We, that, and that was important. So I'm glad that we did that. But we also lost touch with that, the unsayable. We got, we lost touch with the unsayable. And, we get back in touch with the unsayable when we meditate and sit with what is inside of us. Just be with it and allow it to inform us. And, and by being with it, I don't mean judging it, and I don't even mean letting it go by just like a, a wave on the ocean, although the wave on the ocean is great. I, mean, I think our thoughts do come and go just like waves on the ocean. But here's the thing. Sometimes one of those la- waves leaves a beautiful shell, we need to focus on and look at. And we don't want to just say, oh, well, it was just a wave, we need to let that go. Where, what about that shell? It left a shell on the beach for us to explore. So we need to take those little nuggets of, 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 of wisdom that we get in a spiritual state and, and bring them into our conscious awareness and play with them and let them inform us even more. So it, this is the journey of, of, of the how-to. It's, it's one where we go inside and begin to really find out what is in there. So that's the meditation part. The other, not only do we, as we as I said first, look at those things that give us joy, but we look at those things that don't give us joy. We look at those things that are tedious and irritating and um, uh, bothersome in our lives. Um, for example, like I said a little while ago, if you're giving a whole lot of your time and energy to someone who, whose emotions you're carrying... Then eventually you begin to resent that. Well, we look at that resentment and we say, Well, that's a bad thing. We shouldn't be having that feeling. Let me get rid of that. And, and so we don't really ever respond to it as if it has a message to give us. But if we look at that and go, Okay, why am I feeling resentment? And we ask the resentment, Please tell me why you're here. Then the resentment begins to give a voice to what's inside of us. And we begin to see that a lot of what we're doing is not authentic at all, it's a bargain. It's saying if I do these things for other people, then either they'll take care of me in some way or then I'll be proud of myself or then I won't have to feel guilty anymore or there's always a then on the other side of that. So what we're looking for is um, something much more authentic than that that says, oh, this gives me peace. All right. so. You know, looking at the things that do give us joy, meditating, looking at the things that don't give us joy. If I'm doing a job all day long, that is, um, you know, eight hours of, of ted- tediosity. I just made up that word. If tedious tasks, then we're going to... That is inform- informative. We don't want to know that because we've got to earn money. And so we don't want to know that, oh, my gosh, there might be a job change in my future there might be and that's authentic and so if we just refuse to know it all we're doing is shrinking our lives and making ourselves less happy and less fulfilled and if I'm here to do anything on this planet it is to fulfill the essence of who I am I mean if I come here as a flower I am meant to be the best flower I can possibly be and by best I don't mean being good I mean being fully flower it's the same with us If I come here as a person, then I need to be fully person, that particular person, that unique person that I am. That's what I'm here to be. I'm not here to fix other people. I'm not here to uh, uh, um, do anything for other people. I'm here to be me. And in the process of being me, I will open up to my fullest compassion, and I will naturally do things for other people. But what what we've been taught And it's erroneous. We've been taught that we are supposed to be here for other people, and that makes us selfless people, and therefore we're good. But actually, being here for other people means I'm not being here for me. I don't know what's going on in other people. I don't know what they need. I don't know what's best for them. I don't know all that, but I'm pretending to myself that I do and and going out of my way to make sure they're okay, even though I don't even know what's okay for them, And, and I'm in the process of ignoring myself. And that shows absolute lack of trust in our ability, in the authentic self's ability to guide us and to give us its natural, uh, powerful compassion that is rich inside of us and which will call us to operate out of it. So that, uh, that, be, that idea is erroneous, as I said, and, and we want to operate out of something much more real than that. So, you know, that's beginning to look at those things that we've been taught that we don't necessarily agree with. Exploring your sacred texts for, you know, what they say. What do you think they say? Not what did you get taught, they said. What do you think they said? Um, I remember one time uh, several years ago, probably 20, 30 years ago by now, um, I was seeing a therapist and I'll never forget that one day I was uh, quoting some uh, Bible scripture to him. And uh, he, uh, he basically accused me of uh, using Bible scripture to cover up my, my authenticity. And I took that to heart. I, I really thought, that's, that's really true, I'm doing that. And he challenged me to go home and read the Bible and find out what I believed they meant. Because that was the text I was into at the time. And he he wanted me to go find out what I thought it meant, not what I'd always heard. And I took that to heart, and I did it. And I began to then look at uh, some of the language that was used and how it had always been interpreted. And later, as I continued that journey and began to study other religions and other sacred texts like the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedas and the and the sutras, the Buddhist and Sufi sutras, and um, I really began to understand uh, that the Bible wasn't necessarily saying anything like what we've been taught it said and that's when I began to get in touch with the root language of the Bible and began to see that indeed it means something very different than what we've been taught so you know that that journey started with uh the PhD I have today actually started as a result of that one man's comment that he said you're using the Bible to cover up your authenticity I'm you're not even authentic here. You're not even being real. Um, so that was a very powerful message he gave me, and I'm still very grateful to him for that today. And that's the truth for a lot of us. We use our religion to hide, to hide behind so that we don't have to know our authenticity. We don't have to come to terms with what calls us from within to be present with it. We don't have to go looking for our own genuine peace. We don't have to uh, look into what is true and what is false for us We don't have to find our own joy. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to take any responsibility at all for ourselves and everything would just drop in our laps? All that peace, all that joy that we want, it would just drop into our laps. And that's what we kind of want. We just kind of want to not really have to think about life and think about what, what, uh, we're here to do. We don't have to really, we don't really want to have to take responsibility for our deepest, uh, happiness. We don't want to, you know, uh, be enthroned on our own throne. We don't want to take that kind of responsibility for our, the creating who, not creating who we are, getting in touch with who we are and then from there creating the life we want. So when we're, when we're on this journey, this amazing adventure of a journey toward our authentic spirituality, what we begin to also get in touch with is something's called synchronicity. Synchronicity is where like, it works like this. I'm thinking about something or I'm wondering about something or I've just dreamed about something and then I run into it. Or I walk into a bookstore and a book just seems to call me from the shelf and I just must read it and I go home and read it ravenously and can't put it down and, and the book informs me of some great wisdom that I really needed in my life. Um, so it, it, it's that. Synchronicity is that kind of easy flow of things that just says, oh, here's something else you need to think about, and we just run into it. We don't have to look for it. We don't have to dig for it. We just, we just relax, and it sort of, we just sort of run into it. And those are beautiful experiences, and they happen along the way. And every time they do, we need to allow that to really enter us. Really absorb that, take that in and really take its meaning, drink all the juice of it and really bring it home to our lives so that we can use that from now on. And, and those are, those are things that the self, the authentic self, our genuine spirit, our soul, whatever you want to call that, is, is really taking hold. We know we're in the flow of what I would call you-ness, me-ness, uh, my me. I'm in the flow of my me when I'm running into synchronistic events. That's kind of information that says, oh, I'm in the flow. And that information is very, very powerful because what it does is, is, is get us to know this one thing. There's a me down inside me that I can trust, absolutely trust, because it is, uh, it is my soul because it is my authenticity it is the essence of my being which if there's anything that's connected to divine, divine divinity it is that and so it, when i when i tap into that essence what i'm doing is tapping into my own genuine uh, guidance system but i'm also becoming aware that that i can really trust that flow i don't have to be striving and pushing and trying and writing down five-year goals and aiming toward them and pushing everything else out of the way and making sure I attain my goals. I don't have to be doing all that. Myself will carry me like a river carries a branch, uh, a little twig. It carries me where I'm supposed to go. I don't have to be strategizing and figuring out how I'm going to land in this particular place. Where I'm going to land is where myself will carry me and I can let go Of everything else and just be in that flow and it's there that we find complete fulfillment complete contentment complete peace and absolute joy so that's the journey we're on to to learning how to let go and just let myself take over my authentic self take over and it will bring us to that authentic spirituality so that's the process we can begin to trust and I hope that you will Begin that journey. If you haven't already started, begin that journey today and open up to where will this take me today if I just listen to myself. All right. Well, that's it for today. And next week we're going to be talking about how to create a passionate, authentic relationship. So you want to be here for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.